0: You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast and whip out your keychain because you're about to get copies of the keys to hormone health. I hope there's room on your keychain for some new keys. Maybe you don't need the CVS and the Walgreens keychain cards. (laughs) Just saying. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast where I make healthy living as fun as a party so you'll, you know actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. I am pumped that one of my favorite plant party products on the planet is sponsoring this episode. If you've spent but a few secs skimming my Instagram or binge watching my YouTube channel, which you should, by the way, if you haven't, but when you do, you'll see that Sun Warrior plant protein powder is the Kanye to my West, the bees to my knees, the Wilson to my Castaway, something I would not want to live without. When I'm looking for a way to make my smoothies actually fill me up so I don't need a follow-up snack a few minutes after finishing my smoothie, I blend in Sun Warrior. Because I don't want to get bloated, gassy, or feel crappy after consuming protein powder, I use Sun Warrior. Because I am not a fan of protein powders with weird, chalky textures and nasty flavors, I use Sun Warrior. See, it's no wonder I blend Sun Warrior protein powder into every smoothie I make and bake it into almost every baked good I bake. If you want some recipes for doing the same, head to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash party in my plants. Click subscribe and you'll get an epic, easy Sun Warrior plant protein recipe in your inbox every month. And if you want to get your mitts on Sun Warrior for 15% less than the rest of the world pays to get their mitts on it, just use the code PARTYINMYPLANTS at checkout on their site, sunwarrior.com. Again, in case you sneezed as I said that, I said you can use code PARTYINMYPLANTS at checkout on sunwarrior.com to save 15%, my friend. The end of the sponsorship thing. I mean, let's get into the meat of the episode, or not meat, the tofu of the episode. (laughs) My guest today knows firsthand, and with her other hand too, just how much a personal crisis can be a catalyst for dramatic self and health discovery. Magdalena Shalaki's journey with hormone imbalance began with a diagnosis of Graves' disease, Hashimoto's, and adrenal fatigue. Not fun. Ten years later, doctors diagnosed her again with estrogen dominance and a dangerously high level of heavy metal toxicity. Jeez Louise. Magdalena was fed up with doctors who wrote her conditions off with a laundry list of pharmaceuticals. So she left her career in advertising to focus full time on understanding her body, her relationship to food, and develop a new way of eating that would repair and keep her hormones working smoothly. Now she's a holistic health coach who works with women to help them understand their health and get nice and comfy on their paths to wellness. Now, let me get out of her path, so she can spill the beans on balancing your hormones. Shall I? Magdalena, thank you so much for coming on the Party in My Plants podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Your wellness journey is a long and winding and fascinating one. So right off the gate here, I would just love for you to Give us the spark notes of it. I mean, you've been diagnosed with Graves' disease, Hashimoto's, adrenal fatigue, stage two, estrogen dominance, and high levels of heavy metal toxicity. I mean, what happened?
1: (laughs) Well, what hasn't happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just to add to that, I mean, constant, you know, also digestive issues and H. pylori and, you know, I had all sorts of like SIBOs, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. So just things that really mess around with your with your gut a lot and, you know, and, and what you're able to eat and how you respond to food. But, you know, um, it's really the outcome of a lot of things that happens prior to that. Like a lot of times we look at something, you know, a condition go boom, you know, say 2008, I was like this with Hashimoto's. But when I think about it, you know, to, to, and for those, for maybe for the listener's benefit, grace and Hashimoto's are both autoimmune diseases that attack the thyroid. And so your own body is turning against, um, your organs. And in the case of grace, you become, it's the thyroid and you become hyperactive. So it's basically, you know, that's when you start having anxiety attacks, sweaty palms, you can't sleep at night, you get super anxious, you get heart palpitations, very unpleasant, actually really scary and then you know when you have hashimotos then you become on the other extreme you become hypothyroid um and that's like constant fatigue depression hair loss you start putting on weight right and so that was that was me but really you know talia it's it's all of that started like way before that uh, the fact that i was not a breastfed baby so i never had a strong immune system from the get go um in the first month of my of being a one month baby, I already ended up at a hospital with pneumonia and being you know was given a whole load of antibiotics, I'm sure, right? Wow. Um that again wipes out your good bacteria and whatever's left of it. and you know, and no, to no surprise, as a young child, I was always covered in eczema, had severe ear infections and sinus infections, which are very uh, symptomatic of food sensitivities. and you know uh, and and again, food sensitivities a lot of times happen because, of digestive issues, either poor bacterial flora, which obviously I had, right? Because of you know, because of them being non-breastfed um and being given so many antibiotics. And then, you know, a lot of these food sensitivities kind of linger on um till and they and they evolve to manifest in a different way. So for example, in my early twenties, then they manifested into cystic acne, constant headaches, terrible PMSs. So it's not just headaches, I actually had migraines, uh, PMSs, being always bloated, you know, like I always remember having a latte and looking like a four month pregnant woman because of the bloat. Right. And having, you know, this that fatigue thing and being really tired after meals. Right. But the, I think the biggest thing for me, especially as a young 20 something year old woman was that cystic acne and you know, that oily skin yet so dry. Right. And you know, and cystic acne is no joke because it is so huge. It's so painful. It's so scarring. Um, and it wasn't just on my face it was on my back I had on my my chest but even (laughs) even on my buttocks you know that's how bad it was and I remember doing a simple search um and discovering like I I still remember finding this article that said why is it that children in Papua New Guinea have no acne and I thought not so not children but teenagers have no zits and I thought huh that's fascinating. And that, that research showed that they don't eat processed foods and gluten. So I cut out gluten. Half of my pimples were gone. Wow! And wow. then later, you know, over time, I discovered that I had a problem also with eggs and dairy. And when I cut those out, there was a significant improvement. And my skin pretty much cleared out. I still have scarring till today. I could do something about it. But there's a part of me that kind of wants to remember that's, you know, that's how bad it was. Uh, because I, I mean, now, if I, as long as I eat well, I don't get a single zit. But, you know, it's it's super scarring, I mean, for any young woman who's experiencing that, you know, not to own any top um, shirts with, you know, with an open top, right, open back, because you're so embarrassed. And, you know, you can only cover so much with, with makeup, right? Uh, it kind of shows through. It's, it's very, It was very, very scarring. And, you know, it really takes your self-confidence to take such a big hit. But, you know, it's, uh, and and then as I progressed, I used to work in advertising. So I had a phenomenal job at this advertising agency. And I moved to, um, you know, I moved to China and Hong Kong. So I was living between Hong Kong and Shanghai. This is when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease. And I think, you know, it was a combination of not adhering to a clean diet, uh, super, a lot of stress, living out of airports and hotel food, letting my job really fuel my Self worth, you know. I was really getting the sense of who I am and how good I am at my job. My self worth came from my job, and, and you know. And fair enough, I was working on Fortune one hundred brands, all the you know, all the iconic brands like L'Oreal and Volkswagen and Johnson and Johnson and Nike were my clients. But it's also, you know, it was, it was a, I was in a regional job, so it was a you know, it was a, it was a huge responsibility and always being on the road and not sleeping enough. You know, and I always used to joke. I'll sleep when I die, you know, and I, am here just to enjoy my life right now and push through. And I was a semi-professional athlete as well. I had my own athletic team. So, you know, I'll work until 9 PM and get home and then, and then be up at five 30 in the morning to hit the gym before going to the office. You know, it was that kind of crazy lifestyle and no wonder I just completely got burned out. So this is when 2008, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and, and, and I knew that, you know, Talia, I had no idea really what it meant. Um, But I remember reading just the idea that when you have an autoimmune disease, that your own body is so confused and so miswired that you start attacking your own body organs. That fundamentally was just did not sit well with me. And I didn't really understand why it was happening, but I just knew it wasn't right. And that's when I made very intentional changes in my life. I resigned from my job, I moved to the United States, I went to nutrition school, and I set up my practice 10 years ago. Fast forward. You know, my health has never been a straight trajectory. I mean, I wish I told you that I'm in, you know, it's it's all like took a couple of years and I was in perfect health ever since then. Not the story, but and I still have wrinkling stuff going on. But I can tell you that as a 45 year old woman, my Hashimoto's and are in complete remission. My adrenals are in good place. You know, I am in a book promotion mode right now. So I have been traveling a little bit more and I am feeling that adrenal, my adrenals are getting a little bit bashed up, but I know exactly what I need to do to get back to it. I have no more estrogen dominant stuff. So like all the terrible PMSs and hair loss and lumpy boobs. That was another thing in my 30s. I always used to get a lot of lumpy boobs, uh, which is, you know, signs of estrogen dominance. All of that is gone. And as a 45-year-old woman today, you know, not only are these conditions in remission and not gone, but I, I do feel better than when I was 25. So, wow. you know, that stuff works. <laughs> Go
0: girl. What are some of the symptoms of adrenal fatigue?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it can be anything from, I think the biggest revealing one is when you wake up in the morning and you don't really feel refreshed. You feel like you need two cups of coffee to really get you going. That's like a real debt giveaway. Another one is getting up from a seated or lying position and getting lightheaded really quickly. Oh. Um, you know, it's like having that lightheaded sort of a dizzy feeling, right? Another one would be when you are, when you exercise and after, like okay, you know, let's just say you, your regular workout is running three miles, right? And you used to be able to, like, you would feel great after running these three miles. But now when you run these three miles, you feel absolutely exhausted. You want to go for a nap after that. That could, that also is, could be a sign of adrenal exhaustion. Um, other things which, you know, like craving, for example, salt, um, craving sugar, right? But craving sugar can be a lot of other things as well. So you just have to look at it in a combination of symptoms. Those are the most common ones.
0: Okay, cool. Is that something that people get diagnosed? Like you go to the doctor and you can get diagnosed with it? Or can you like self-diagnose adrenal
1: fatigue? So regular doctor, like a t- to your typical allopathic doc, you, you you know, you go to, they don't recognize adrenal fatigue even as a condition at all. So um, they they might run like blood tests, but that's completely useless, um, and it's gonna show you that you know everything is right. Um, the The way to get diagnosed is to um, the most reliable way is to do it through urine, and for that you need to work with a functional doc, or a functional nurse practitioner, or a naturopath, um, who can then order these kind of labs and confirm it. Okay. Well.
0: That sounds good because I feel like some people say they have adrenal fatigue or, or might be thinking they have adrenal fatigue because we're all just freaking burning ourselves out left and right. So it's really good to know about the symptoms and how to move forward with getting a diagnosis if you think that might be what you got. But for you, how the hell did you reverse all of that crap that you were dealing with? <laughs> I mean, wh- how, yeah, how did you
1: do that? Because that sounds like you had a lot going on. Yeah. So, you know, I think food is really the foundation of things. And I say this, I mean, it might be so obvious, but there is a lot of times you go and see even a functional doc or naturopath um, and you walk away with $500 worth of supplements, right? And zero conversation about the diet. And, you know, when I was in private practice, I would have women coming with these bags of supplements and still feeling really crap. Because the way they were eating was, was just sabotaging everything that the supplements were trying to do, right? Or herbs that you were taking, or, you know, we go and spend money on acupuncture and Chinese herbs and all of that is really great. But at the end of the day, food is the fundamental thing you're putting in your body. And so, you know, what I, what I, what I did, and and that's what, you know, that's what I wrote about in my book is really the starting point for anyone is to bring the inflammation down as much as you can in your body. And I found the most effective, great first starting point, easiest way to do this is to do the elimination diet, in which you're eliminating the seven biggest food culprits that we know are highly inflammatory for most people. Not all of them will be, but, but they may be. And so there will be things like gluten, dairy, eggs, soy, corn, and nitrate vegetables. So nitrate will be like peppers, tomatoes, um, eggplants, potatoes. And you know, like eggs or nitrates, there is nothing wrong with them for a lot of people. But like some people, like for example, me, if I continue, you know, I can have one or two eggs a week now, but if I eat like two of them a day, I'll be covered in acne all over again. It's just my body's rejecting it, right? And for other people, eggs would be wonderful. But you wouldn't really know it until you full do the full elimination diet. And in the book I also removed peanuts. Peanuts. Mm, yeah. And, and again, you know, like you and I could eat peanuts and be fine. Right. But there's somebody else might be reacting to peanuts, um, or nuts, you know, so what I'm saying is that when you are constantly inflamed, um, you know, I mean, eggs. You know, just as an example again, going back to eggs. You know, you're eating eggs and thinking like, well, that's one of the superfoods, right? Total, complete protein, and it's you know um, raised by you know eggs uh, by hands that are free range and all that good stuff, right? Full nutritional profile, true. But if there is this protein in eggs that can be inflammatory, no matter what you what you're doing with supplements, it's just not gonna work. So you asked me about how I did that. That was the first fundamental thing was to, was to um, do the full elimination diet. The other big thing is, you know, because I lived in China, I had very high mercury levels, lead levels, cadmium levels. And so I needed to do a number of detoxes to remove all of those. You know, I remove all amalgam fillings, all the, you know, all the mercury fillings that you have in the teeth. I got those removed. right? So it was it really, was a long journey because I had so many things that were wrong, but, um, you know, they needed to be fixed in order to feel really, really fantastic. Um, But, you know, I I think for anyone who's listening to do that thing, starting off with the elimination diet and keeping a journal. um, And I, you know, I teach in the book, in my cookbook, how to do that. Because, you know, unfortunately, Talia, what I see, and I'm curious if you see this with your listeners as well, is that a lot of times, like, we have screwed up our digestion so badly. that We're becoming so sensitive to food that we were never sensitive to before. Without even realizing that, that could be causing a problem. And so, an example I want to give you is, for instance, you know, um, like just, just for example, take avocado, right? Avocado is such a superfood, right? Like, everybody now is on a, you know, we, we went from the low fat diet. Now everybody's like, oh, we're going smearing avocado snack. on everything. <laughs> like, so, everybody's doing avocado. Well, guess what? Or, you know, doing coconut, right? Well, here's an interesting thing. When you start journaling and really tune into your body, you start realizing, like, oh, you know, every time I have avocado, I'm kind of feeling nauseous and I'm bloated. Well, here's an interesting thing. Avocado contains specific carbohydrates that can be very hard to digest for somebody who's got IBS, which is a lot of people, irritable bowel syndrome, right? When you've got dysbiosis in your gut. And so suddenly this real superfood can turn into a food that really sabotages your health and recovery. Cause your gut, you know, if we want, if you want, we can talk about it later. It's like how the health of your gut is, um, affecting your hormones or how your liver is affecting the hormones. got a huge, there's a huge connection there. So I'm rambling on about these gut issues because they have a direct impact on your hormones. Um, so that's, you know, that's, I think really important is to really dial in what are the foods that your body is loving and then fixing your digestion and bring those food back in, in moderation. And, you know, and that's really how you, you function well.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, there's a lot of things that you just threw out there and there's a lot of things that play. You spoke about inflammation. You spoke about hormones, spoke about gut health. If someone's listening, they're like, holy hell. Like, I don't even know where to start. Like, where do you start? I mean, how do hormones play into this whole thing versus how does inflammation play into this whole thing? And, yeah. and for people that don't, didn't have a slew of issues such like you, like with the Hashimoto's and adrenal fatigue and all this stuff,
1: like, should they care? Yeah. So that's a really brilliant question and you know, it's a pretty vast topic, right? So that's why like, <laughs> I can even take your question and divide it into like three sections already, but I'm just going to address the first thing, like, should you care? So, you know, if I was to give myself a piece of medical advice or just any uh, health advice, right. 20 years ago, I would say to myself, listen to those symptoms, listen to those symptoms, those little nagging things, because if you don't contain them, and it's not to sound hypochondriac in any way, but they, they're telling you there's something going on. Take, for example, l- uh, lumpy boobs. You know, you've got a lump on your boob, right? You go and see a doc or you have a, you know, your thyroid is kind of swollen and you find out you have a thyroid nodule, right? And you go and see a doc and they go, well, this is all benign. Don't worry about it. Come back in six months time. So, and that's, you know, that's one approach. I don't know about you, but like to me, that's like, I'm not being a hypochondriac here, but I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm having this growth in me. Right. And it's not cool. Like, where's this coming from? What's causing this? And a lot of times those are early symptoms showing you that, for example, like those lump lumpy boobs or thyroid nodules can be a sign of estrogen dominance. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. Which is
1: directly connected to the gut. And I can explain that in a second. But, you, you know, I think listening to those, like, you know, having super painful periods, right. Or having irregular periods or, you know, having um, even acne, like severe acne on the face, right? Those are all signs your body's struggling with something. And in some ways, I'm so glad that in 2008, I, I resigned from my job and I walked away from it, because I would have been a lot sicker than if I didn't take that action than, uh, than, you know, than, than when I did. So when you said, you know, all of this can be overwhelming. Yeah, so it can be really as simple as starting with the elimination diet, you know, and yeah, it might sound like it's those separate foods and you're eating them on a regular basis, but that's when, you know, you can surround yourself with tools that cookbooks and recipes that are, which are in abundance today, right, um, on the internet. And that was one of the reasons why I wrote my cookbook. One of the many intentions was that even if we close those seven doors on these seven foods temporarily, I want to show you ten other 10 other doors or more to open up, to expose you to other amazing foods that you can eat. And the majority, you know, if you think about it, like all the foods and vegetables and, you know, and meats and a lot of grains, I mean, most people can eat them quite quite well in function, right? And then you ask the question about how is inflammation playing into this? So, you know, food as well as stress or doing prescription drugs or, uh, but also birth control pills, unfortunately for women, can be highly inflammatory, period, right? And how this impacts our hormones is that, on a cellular level, what happens when you're in flame, you have like this very low grade fire that's going on in the body. And what can happen then is that the receptors, so the hormones, the way hormones work is they are these chemical messengers. They they literally are a chemical that's in your bloodstream, right? They get produced by the glands, they get into the bloodstream. And then the bloodstream delivers them to the receptors in the body so that you can have beautiful hair and nice plum skin and you can get your period on time, you know, and have sex drive. And, you know, all of those functions have a mental, you know, good mental function, right? Sharpness and um, ability of losing fat and turning that into energy, right? All of that is controlled actually by the hormones. And so what happens is that when you inflame the receptor in the cell, that's supposed to receive the hormone to do its work, is not able to do so. It's not doing it very effectively because it's inflamed. It's so, it's so tarnished that it just it, the hormone doesn't attach itself to the receptor. And this is where, you know, this is one of the many reasons how um, your digestive health can impact your hormones. There's many other ways, but this is like one of the very big ones. Does it make sense? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So
0: that's why if you want to improve your, you know, hormone balance and whatever, you, or your hormone health, you should start with your gut and, in, you know, with what you eat and lowering
1: inflammation. Exactly. And when you, when you lower the inflammation, like, you know, one thing I'll say about PMS, cause I know your audience is younger, right. And, you know, we, we've been conditioned by our culture and the medical institutions. And just, I think it's just generally understanding is that the same way if you are a teenager, you're supposed to have zits, mm-hmm. you know, age 14 or whatever, you get your period, right? You stop masturbating. It's, it's meant to be, you know, it's the worst. those it's three days of hell. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then when you go into menopause, you're just going to be this bitch who's going to just tarnish everybody's, you know, it's just going to bite people heads off. Right. And I can promise you that none of that is true. If you dial in your health none of that is true and you don't have to have a PMS from hell. You don't have to be living on Advil for three days. You don't have to be skipping work and be totally dysfunctional around people, you know, Sure. I mean, you're going to feel it, that you have it. Like, let me describe, for example, the periods that I'm having right now, right. Is that they, you know, even though I'm 45, I'm still like, I'm still having regular periods and you know, and it's like, I can feel it the day before my, my mood is crashing. Right. I'm like on a very much on the introverted. So there's a time when, you know, before I would have, I would bite somebody's head off, right. I'll be really pissed. I'll be really unpleasant to be around with. Now it's like, I just want to be by myself, right? It's a re- and it's normal because if you look at the hormones, all your hormones just before your menstruation completely collapsed from like being high down to like almost down to zero, right? So naturally, there is going to be a change. And then when a the period happens, it's like, okay, sure, you feel it, you're tender, right? And then it's there for a day or two, you again, in, still in that introverted space, so you just want to have take care of yourself and nothing, nobody else this is not a time to go out and party and have, you know, big social engagements. And then, you know, as the period is coming to end, everything gets picked up again, right? So, you know, but without going through the pain and the mood swings and the and the swelling and, you know, the migraines, all of that stuff, it doesn't have to be present. And
0: how? I mean, if someone's like, yeah, right, you know, my period sucks. I live off of Advil and I can't go to work. How do you begin to reverse that?
1: Yeah, so... You know, PMSs are most of the time the function of estrogen dominance, and that means there's too much of estrogen, there's too little progesterone. The way we break those estrogens is is very um, it's very beneficial for the bad estrogens, that the ones that are causing the pain and the symptoms, and also the ones, you know, estrogen dominance is also the leading cause of things like lumpy boobs and thyroid nodules and fibroids and endometriosis. So we can control and totally change all of that. How do you do that? Well, the first thing is really starting off with the gut. And you know, let me just step back a second. Uh, one of the things that I talk about in in the cookbook is the three-legged stool analogy. Meaning, if you want to feel really good, if you want to feel comfortable, like comfortably sit on a stool, right, right? All the three legs need to be firmly in place. If one of them is missing or it's short, you start wobbling. You could fall. And with hormones, that your foundation for your hormones, that three-legged stool, stool so to speak, is the health of your digestion. We talked about the health of your liver, which is hugely important in estrogen and a sugar balance. So when you, you know, we talked about the gut health, just doing the elimination diet, bring the inflammation down. That's already, it's gonna be huge in the way you metabolize estrogen. The second part that really helps a lot with all these symptoms I talked about, those estrogenic symptoms, is um, is to support your liver. You know, to my big surprise, when I was diagnosed with estrogen dominance because I had huge lumps on both of my boobs, which was really scary. And I think, I don't, I think I, you know, I don't need to tell you any woman who finds a a lump on her boob, right. It's one of the scariest moments, right. And, and then, but then you're like, do I do a mammogram or do I, do I do a thermogram? Do I just like do nothing about it? Do I just let it pass? Like, you know, it's just this big panic, right. Do I have cancer? Right. It's horrible. And so, um, what happens is that it's, uh, interestingly enough, estrogen gets broken down in the liver into these metabolites I talked about, think of the metabolites as a little bit like estrogen is like this flowy river, right? And then you get this bank in the middle of the river that kind of filters out so that one stream to the right goes, that's really nice and clean. And the other one to the left, that's going to be dirty water. And so the liver is like that bank that filters things out clean from, from the dirty one when the liver isn't functioning properly you start having that dirty water going into the clean stream and this is where that's what's causing these symptoms that i described of estrogen dominance including that pms so when you support your liver you know doing things like occasional juicing or occasional fasting uh bringing in a lot of bitter foods like um you know cruciferous vegetables for example are wonderful so things like broccoli broccoli sprouts um, you know, arugula. So switch out, you know, next time you go and have a salad, right. Switch out for that spinach or that romaine lettuce, which is completely useless. Like romaine lettuce got almost no nutrition. Yeah. It's just like water. Right. Exactly. It's just water literally in a, in a plant, you know, switch it out for arugula, right. It's a spinach doesn't have those properties, uh, um, working on the liver, but arugula does right. Uh, baby cow, cow, um, uh, collard greens are all wonderful, you know, cauliflower, right. And as well as, um, bok choy, they're also wonderful vegetables that support the liver. Another one is one of my favorites is flax seeds. You know, anything with fiber, just two ground tablespoons of flaxseed a day contain a substance called DIM, dim, DIL, methane that helps with, um, as estrogen detoxification and supports the liver tremendously with doing that work. So, you know, those are just little things that we can change to, I mean, I'm telling you, flaxseed is so powerful. I I was really surprised, like, how um, just bringing two tablespoons of freshly ground flaxseed a day. What do you do with it? What do you
0: like to do with it?
1: Yeah, so, you know, um, just add it to the smoothie. um, Pre-grind in this, put it on salads, right? You you don't want to, like, if you pre-grind it, um, make sure you just pre-grind it for it. Four or five days at the most, and keep it in an airtight container in the fridge because uh, uh flaxseed gets oxidized really quickly. So you know you want to have it fairly fresh, and you don't want to buy the flex meal stuff because that stuff's been pre-ground and sits on shelves for months before you buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know sprinkle that on salad, sprinkle that into onto a soup. You don't want to cook with it to have the potency. The yeah, you the, want it raw. Yeah, you want to have it raw, organic. You know, um, golden or brown doesn't matter. Both of them are great. Yeah. It's just, you know, a couple of simple things like that. And that tremendously helps deliver. And also the other thing that flaxseed is going to help with is going to help with bowel movements. So many women are constipated and you know, it when you walk into like CVS and, you know, and you see like there's always a whole aisle for gut health and constipation is like majority of it. Right. you're so constipated. And you know, guess what? Dairy is one of the big causes of constipation in women. Not the only one, of course. Right. But it's one of the big ones. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if you just drop your dairy, your bowel movement is going to start improving. Well, guess what? How it impacts the hormones is that, um, you know, we poop our hormones out. So, you know, how I talked about the liver separates the clean water to dirty river, right? The dirty river, the dirty stream is going to be evacuated in our poop. We poop our hormones out that's how we get rid of them. If we don't, they re-enter the body and they go and do a lot of damage. The damage that, you know, all the symptoms I talked about, the growth of the malignant tissue, like the fibroids, the endometriosis, the lumpy boobs, the thyroid nodules, right? All of that is caused by that uh, that horrible, ast- you know, that the bad estrogen in there. And flaxseed, because it's so high in both soluble and soluble fiber, it's just as a wonderful bowel mover um, and a helper.
0: That's awesome. Go flaxseed. <laughs> Yay. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the connection between how we eat and our hormone balance. I mean, you just wrote a whole book called Cooking for Hormone Balance. So what are other things that we can do? I mean, your book is like a million pages long. There's a lot going on in there. So what are some other things that we can eat and ways that we can cook to improve our hormone
1: health? Yeah. So, you know, I let's just make it simple. Like, let me give you an example, like how just by changing your breakfasts. How you can address the three-legged stool like right away, right? Addressing both your gut health, liver health, and sugar balance uh, all in one go. Would you like me to give some examples of a breakfast like that? Sure.
0: Yeah, please. Tangible stuff is the best.
1: Okay. Eat it up. <laughs> so, you know, one of the recipes you find in the cookbook is called the Farmer's Wife's Breakfast. And that recipe is an all-time favorite. You know, before I wrote the book, I have an online community. And so I've tested a lot of the recipe, what works, what doesn't work, what people like, what they don't like. And Farmer's Wife's Breakfast always came up on top because it transforms so many women's lives. And so I'll tell you in a second what it is, but I just want to give you um, uh, the, the benefits. So, you know, when I first started uh, getting women to eat this way, they you know, let us know that He'll be like, Oh, my God, I've only been doing this for three days. And um, I don't have any more cravings. I don't feel like drinking coffee anymore. I have so much more energy, like I don't need to snack and put any additional calories into my body before lunch. In fact, we had a lot of women who even said that they don't need any sleeping pills at night, like they slept so much better when they rebalance, you know, when they changed the breakfast. Um,
0: Just because of this one breakfast, this is what people were saying? Yes,
1: exactly. Damn, yeah. and what is it? <laughs> yeah, right? So so the breakfast idea came from the fact that, you know, I, I've lived in seven different countries and I've traveled to over 40. Where are you from originally? You know, I was born in Poland. Okay. Um, yeah, but my father was um, had always worked overseas. So I would say I'm Polish, but I've only lived there for a few years of my life. And I spent most of my life actually in Southeast Asia. I grew up as a you know, as a young, as a, from a teenage to a young adulthood, I spent in Southeast Asia. I was there for over 22 years. So, That's amazing. you know, in Asia, the line between food, where food starts and medicine begins is very blur. Yeah. All right? right. So they use food very medicinally. And then I think that was a big, always was inspiration for everything that I do. Um, you know, like we talk about flaxseed, right? Yeah, sure. It can be you know, it's a, it's a seed that, you know, you put on top of a bun or whatever when you bake, but then, you know, but it can also be you medicinal, right? So, you know, so, um, back to
0: yeah, this breakfast. I'm
1: still on the edge of my seat here. Yeah. So, you know, what I've noticed when I was, when I, whenever I travel, it's like, whether I go to Peru or Ethiopia or I go to Korea or Japan or India, right? You know, people don't eat sweet stuff for breakfast. And all this stuff like with the cereals and the, you know, the porridges and the bagels and the muffins for breakfast and an orange juice on top of that, right? If you really think about it and a coffee on top of that, all of that, when you think about it, it's all sugar, right? And even if it's, you know, no matter what the manufacturer, the cereals will tell you, even if it's paleo and whatever, right? There's still sugar in that because there's fruit in there. There's you know, if it's non-paleo, you've got grains in it, right? Which most people don't even break down properly when it's raw. blah, 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 right? Even your porridge, that's also carbohydrates. And you're adding that fruit on top of that and then some maple syrup, right? So it's all carbs, carbs, carbs. And all of that gets turned into sugar. So what I have noticed is that the world eats savory breakfast. And when I started experimenting, when I lived in California, there was a woman who inspired me and she used to make, so I credit her for that uh, for that breakfast and she's totally credited for that in my book um she will alternate between farmer's wife's breakfast and a fisherman's breakfast so depending on what protein she was using and the idea is really simple it's basically if you can just imagine you take a plate you put a bed of greens right so in my case i like to work, work with arugula for the reasons that i mentioned and drizzle that with just a little bit of olive oil and a bit of lemon perhaps a little bit of sea salt right and then just toss that that's your base and on top of that base, you can put whatever you like. The whole idea is you start off with a good piece of protein, right? That's that's what you want to have first thing in the morning and not protein coming from shakes and all that synthetic stuff like, you know, the protein powders, because that's really that's like, in my view, this is all total BS. Um, do real protein, have a piece of chicken from the night before, have a piece of smoked salmon, you know, that you can keep in a fridge for a few days, Right. You know, make make a whole bunch of patties, um, like burger patties, right? From you know, make a whole batch and just have that. So having a piece of protein, and then having some sauerkraut on the side. So you are bringing in those good probiotics from fermented foods, right? And lots of vitamin C, and then having you know a bit of avocado, right? Um, like half an avocado chopped up, and that's that's gonna be the, that's gonna be really great quality of fat gonna come in. Sprinkle all of that with, you know, with pomegranates are in see, in season. Sprinkle that with some pomegranate seeds, and then you sprinkle that, of course, with some flaxseed, right? That we talked about. Now, what's so great about this breakfast is that you can hear it's savory, right? You can see there's whole, almost no sugar in that. There's a little bit of sugar, of course, in, in um, the pomegranate seeds, but it's marginal. And this kind of breakfast is the framework for that. Is that I call the PFF kind of breakfast. P stands for protein. F fiber, and the other F is for fat. So it's basically a breakfast is rich in protein, fat and fiber, as you can see, there's no car. there are carbohydrates, because vegetables are carbs, right? But there's, there's no sugar per se. And, you know, when you are mitigating the carbohydrates, because we want good vegetables, right? But you also want to have a good amount of fat, fiber and that protein. And that's the kind of breakfast that just makes a profound difference in women's lives. Part of it is because you are just setting yourself for success, that your blood sugar levels are sustained. You know what happens, Talia, when you know we have a bowl of cereal, right? Two hours later, three hours later, we are hungry again. Our blood sugar levels drop. You want to, you need to eat again, right? And I'm not, you know, I'm not a calorie proponent in any way, but the fact is that if, especially if you women want to lose weight, right? Then then you're just you're having these cravings for something. And a lot of times it's going to be a bar or you know, a piece of banana, right? All of that is really <laughs> bringing in more sugar. When you have a breakfast like that, you have no cravings until lunch. And, you know, women's anxiety, like women been has telling us, like, we have no more anxiety, um, just snacking stops. Because um, your blood
0: just... sugar is balanced and your hormones are balanced.
1: Absolutely, yeah. totally. Well, what if you yeah. don't
0: eat meat? A lot of people listening don't eat meat and you suggested fish and burgers and stuff like chicken. What do you suggest in that situation?
1: Yeah. So for vegetarians, you know, vegans, the substitute could be, um, you could do tempeh. So tempeh is like, if you can tolerate soy, then a good substitute would be tempeh, which is fermented soy. And you can basically um, cook it up the same way you will, you will work with meat, um, grill it or whatever, and just season it because it's pretty tasteless. So you got to season it. And that's a nice substitute. Like I don't have vegetarian options in my vegan options in my book, just because when you work with hormones, it's really hard to rebalance the hormones and the blood sugar levels being a vegetarian and eliminating all these inflammatory foods. So that's why I don't work with vegetarian as an appro- vegetarian approach. Because you know, technically you can be you can drink diet coke and do Pringles and also call yourself vegan, right? Technically. Um, but that's a far you know, that's a far cry from calling it a healthy diet. So I do, you but know, But you I can do- have a
0: healthy diet without having meat and dairy and stuff in it. You could just eat plants and be plant based, and you know, not eat
1: coke. Well, eat I mean, I'm, I'm not agree with that. It's you know, it's I have seen that there are there are there are a few people who really feel good as vegetarians, and you got to make that you know. And the person I think has to make a call. If, you know, there's few people I know and I've worked with over you know the 3,000 women I've worked with in my practice, and now we have thousands of women online who truly do well as vegetarians. And they've been a vegetarian for 20 years, and it really serves them well. They have well maintained blood sugar levels. They have great. They don't have any deficiencies. But I have found that most people like are vegetarian for a year or two, and this is when a lot of health problems start happening. B12 deficiency, D issues, K2 deficiency. Supplements don't necessarily work, you know. And I'm I'm not a proponent of having you know meat three times a day. Sometimes for some people it can be as little as two times a week just to replenish um, it's just that I would not agree that most people do well as vegetarians. Actually, most vegetarian people, so some of the worst cases that I've worked with, like, for example, yeast, candida overgrowth, having problems with yeast, which is huge for a lot of women, you start craving sugar, you have white tongue, um, when you stick it out first thing in the morning, vaginal discharges, those are all signs of potentially candida. Most vegetarian women I've worked with always struggle with candida, and it's almost impossible to have good health, and good hormonal balance while having struggling with these infections.
0: Does everyone's body and their hormones react like the same to all foods or is it different with every person?
1: It's absolutely different with every person. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: So you really have to test what works for you.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so yeah. in your book, you know, you have a list of hormones supporting superfoods and superherbs. And we've talked about flaxseed and you mentioned pomegranate seeds. What are some other superfoods and superherbs that are great for balancing hormones?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I also mentioned those cruciferous vegetables, right? So those are huge. So bring those in, um, drop all the romaine lettuce and spinach and bring in those, uh, you know, those little baby cows and, 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 you know, and some people also like, if you don't do well with raw food, um, then just steam, like steam those veggies for two, three minutes. That's really super helpful. Um, you know, other, other foods that are, that are huge is, Why don't I tell you about the seed rotation methods? Because it's super... Have you heard about the seed rotation method? I have not. Enlighten me. So the seed rotation is a really phenomenal thing. I I will tell you that, you know, when I remember um, consulting this naturopath about this really difficult case I was working with, and this woman was basically having periods for like 20 days straight, right? And, And just really struggling. And And I remember um, my naturopath friend said to me, have you tried the seed rotation with her? And I I said, are you serious? Like seeds are going to help somebody who's bleeding, like going through tampons, like three tampons a day? Like that's really? And she's like, well, just try it. Right. And long and behold, this was seven years ago. And the seed rotation has changed so many women's lives. You know, till today we get messages. Women going like, I haven't done anything else from your suggestions. I just did the seed rotation and my PMSs are gone. Women get pregnant. You know, their headaches go away, especially the premenstrual headaches, um, hot flashes, you know, night sweats go away. I mean, it's pretty profound. What is it? Yeah. So the seed rotation is that idea that, you know, if you look at the woman's cycle, let's just say take 28 days, right? Your first day of your period is day one that I'm referencing here. The first part of your cycle is called the uh, follicular phase. So it's from day one of your period till your ovulation, right? In that time, you want to increase your estrogen level. And, you know, I talked about estrogen before, but please let's not demonize estrogen. We need estrogen as women to have our boobs and, you know, butts and be a woman, right? You need estrogen, but you just need the right kind of estrogen and break it down properly. So in that phase, in order to boost estrogen, We can use one tablespoon of flaxseed and one tablespoon of pumpkin seeds freshly ground to add it to, you know, the smoothies or salads or soups, right, every day for the first 14 days. And then upon ovulation or just a day 14, you switch over to progesterone boosting seeds. And these seeds are sesame seeds and sunflower seeds, one tablespoon freshly ground each. And that's that. And, you know, at first when I heard this, I'm like, this is too simple to work. And like I said, you know, there are some women who are just like, I don't want to make any other changes. I'm just not ready for this. This is too much. I just want to do something simple. So if you want to try something simple, then the seed rotation is a really great um, resource. And, you know, it's, it's I'll, I'll send you the link. It's basically on cookingforhormonebalance.com slash seeds. Cool. That's the URL. Uh, so that, you know, that's really a simple thing to do, like right off the bat. And look, you know, if somebody is hugely inflamed, like, if somebody's, you know, if, if you're living on bagels in the morning, right, and you, you know, caffeine is what draws you, what, 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 uh, what fuels you throughout the day, right, and you don't sleep enough, and blah blah blah, you have a lot of stress in your life. I mean, look, let's not let's not make seed rotation like it's gonna be the pinnacle solution for everything, the oh. holy grail, right? But you know, um, but it can it can definitely help a lot, and for some women, it completely helped them. So totally worth trying it.
0: Wow, that's cool, and it is so simple. Just see. Just- Well, I mean, you said, like, if someone's inflamed, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm curious, like, someone listening, how does one know if they are inflamed or if their hormones are unhealthy or not balanced? I mean, yeah, obviously, like, if you got diagnosed with Hashimoto's, like, you know. But, like, just a regular person who doesn't know that there is a better way to live or that what they're experiencing right now is inflammation and that it could be gone, like, how do people kind
1: of figure that out? Yeah, that's a good question, right? Because, um, yeah, so why don't we go over just symptoms? Do you want to do that? Just some of those like more revealing symptoms? Sure. So like, you know, when you say fatigue, it's kind of very vague, right? Because fatigue can be due to so many different things. So that's just not... But let me just talk about symptoms that are a little bit more um, directly connected to potential hormonal imbalances. So let's talk about thyroid first. So low thyroid function, which is an epidemic today in the country, right, is... um, and it's hugely misdiagnosed, by the way, and undiagnosed. So when I'm giving you these symptoms here, and just because your doc told you you don't have a thyroid problem after doing your blood work, go and see another doctor who was willing to do a full panel of seven markers for the thyroid and, um, and, and not just like one or two, because that's famously undiagnosed. So low thyroid function will typically manifest in constant infertility, miscarriages in the first trimester. Um, huge giveaway is like you start putting on weight, no matter what you do, like nothing has changed. Your exercise routine is the same, you know, you're eating the same foods and suddenly you blow up like 10 pounds in the past three months and just wouldn't go away. Right. That's a lot of the time is the thyroid horrendous fatigue. You know, it's that kind of a fatigue. You're not just tired at the end of the day, but it's like something has sucked the life out of you beginning to lose hair or not like the one on front, on front I'll talk about in a second, like the frontal uh, crown losing of a hair, it's a different hormonal problem. But when you start losing it on like on the sides, uh, all around your head, that's oftentimes the thyroid. A lot of women just feel like, you know, especially wearing jewelry or certain cl- clothes that are tight, uh, close to your neck, they begin to feel that there is tightness there. That's because the thyroid is beginning to be inflamed, that so you know that you can just feel it, Right you know, your nails beginning to break really quickly, your hair, not just falling, but also like brittle hair, just your hair kind of looks, you know, dry and kind of blah. Um, Like having always cold hands, like you are the girl who has to wear a sweater where everybody else is in t-shirts and your hands and feet are always cold. Those are huge thyroid giveaways. And if please, if a doctor tells you that they ran a TSH and a T4, you know, panel and they go, Oh, no, you're fine go and find someone who is willing to do that. And they do exist even covered with insurance where you do seven markers on a thyroid, you know, and, and I, I talk about that in the book as well on, on testing how to do that. So the thyroid, another one, which I see a lot with a lot, of, you know, we talked a lot about estrogen dominance. So your PMS, fibroids, endometriosis, um, you know, uh, also like having fat around the hips and the thighs, like, you know, women who are skinny, right? But they just have like the cellulite or this fat just sitting around their butts and hips, like would not go away. No matter how much you exercise with a personal trainer, like trying to get the damn thing off your thighs, just wouldn't go away. Very often, that's due to estrogen. Estrogenic women tend to be the pear shaped types, right? So that's estrogen. And then the, and lumpy boobs, of course, you know, we talked about. And then you know, since we talk about body shape, so if you are the apple type of shape, like you store a lot of fat around your belly, and that's really that's like that's the one that doesn't want to go away. Most of the time, that happens due to insulin problems, so blood sugar issues, being pre-diabetic, diabetic, having insulin resistance. Um, and that happens when, when we have issues with the sugar. A lot of times, then women end up having high testosterone levels, and that high testosterone causes things like crown balding. That's the one I was talking about. So, you know, like women who just like right in front of the frontal part of their uh, head is just has like, uh, has no hair, right? That's your typically high testosterone. But instead, these women start growing hair on their upper lips. You start having hair on your chin, nipples, you know, sometimes for some women it's on even on their on their on their uh, necks or uh, side of their arms, right? Pretty ugly stuff, but that's all because of testosterone. We have too much of that. And that's all because of blood sugar levels. So they kind of, you can see how this all goes back to the three-legged stool, right? Like how the blood sugar balance is so important to manage our hormones. Um, so the high testosterone levels leads to a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome. So women like that will be having, you know, as the name implies, polycystic ovarian. So they have, ovary, they have cysts in their ovaries. But a lot of times, you know, it's also manifesting just like total infertility, very irregular periods, uh, periods all over the place, right? Depression. Yeah. And that hair loss is like, and, and of course, like storing the fat around the belly. So those are the, I think those are the main ones um, that, you know, I, I think are pretty indicative that something is going on really, you know?
0: Yeah. Wow. Those are pretty specific symptoms. Thank you for laying those out for us. It really sounds like the bottom line is that balancing our blood sugar is essential in keeping our hormones balanced. And then you mentioned, you know, those seven offenders that people can try cutting out. I mean, for the elimination diet that you're suggesting, do you often tell people to cut them out all at once and then add them back in after a period of time? Or like, is that how you suggest it working?
1: Yeah, so the full plan is in the book, and and how to also keep a journal to, while you're doing that because you might discover that some other foods you are eating actually, like for example, nuts. I didn't take out nuts from the elimination diet, but you know, for some people, it'll be like, hmm, every time I eat almonds, like I'm just getting itchy, you know, or every time I have, let's say, sauerkraut, something fermented, you know, I'm I'm um I'm getting like hives and um and I'm feeling anxious, right? When you really tune into your body, you you know, there's a lot of signals you can start picking up and then really honing in what are the other foods that are sabotaging you, basically causing that inflammation. So yeah, the elimination diet is a really great starting point. And then keep a journal um, because you might discover, like I said, you know, like, okay, sauerkraut, maybe I have a problem with histamine. You know, a lot of people now are having issues with histamine. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all the fermented foods, like every, you know, like everybody tells you kombucha is so great. I'm actually not a fan of kombucha at all because it's full of yeast. And most women that I know have these problems, but, you know, but there's a lot of other great drinks to learn to make. For example, if you're drinking kombucha, cause everybody tells you so healthy, but you know, instead of feeling, um, like energized from it and feeling really good, like you start having foggy brain and, um, you start burping and you're feeling kind of like semi, a little bit drunk, even dizzy you know, bloated and gassy, like those are all signs, you know, the worst ones that women, women get actually anxious, um, after that, like you, when you scratch your skin, for example, you get these red lines on your skin that just wouldn't go away for the next 15, 20 minutes. Very unusual, right? Cause nobody will disappear within like 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all signs that potentially could be histamine issues. So I talk about it in the book, what do you do when you have histamine issues? So it's really dialing into that, but the elimination diet, just getting those seven big outs first is already a, big, huge step. Yeah, for, for
0: sure. For sure. And I mean, it really comes down to listen, like, essentially listening to your body and actually really paying very close attention to how this food is making you feel and making you look and making you um, like just be able to function in your life.
1: You know, you totally nailed that. And that's exactly what you know, you totally nailed this. And I will share this with you you know, when I, when I used to run online groups, um, uh, you know, gr- nutrition groups uh, with, with women for like, you know, for three month programs and helping them through that three months, guiding them. It's towards the end of every program, first at the beginning, when I was doing them, I would ask them at the end of the program, what was your biggest win and takeaway from this program? Right. And I was in the beginning, I always thought they going to say, Oh, you know, I just cannot believe I lost the last 20 pounds that I just couldn't lose or my depression is gone or like, you know, I've been talking to my doc about getting off antidepressants or I'm not using sleeping pills anymore. You know, all these benefits, right? That all of them experience, but I thought that's what I thought I was going to hear. But because I asked for the one biggest takeaway, you know what they said? What? Like what you said just now. Just they feel better in their real life. They said they've learned to listen to your body. Oh, gotcha. That's amazing. That's all. I mean, that's how you thrive, right? Because, you know, you open a magazine and it tells you, well, you know, um, this food is now the next best thing you're going to do, right? Avocado is so amazing for you. Kombucha is something you're going to drink every day, right? Blah, 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 right? And guess what? This food might not even serve you very well. Um, You know, people now go on about fats. Well, guess what? Like I'm, I'm doing my, like the next tuning in, you know, I'm constantly fine tuning my health, right? I'm in excellent. I'm in really very good health, but I want to be in excellent health. So I'm doing, for example, I'm dialing in something further with a woman who specializes in genetics and nutrition, right? And then we dialing. So guess what? I'm on a low-fat diet right now for the next month, right? Because I've got a fat fat malabsorption, and she's helping me to tune it in. So fine-tune it further. So the point is that you know, it's it's just that, and, and I and I have to say, like, even I tuned out of it every time I had something with a lot of fat, like a drink, you know say a matcha tea with like a lot of coconut oil and milk in it. I felt terrible after that. And and yet I kept drinking and I'm always like, why the hell was I doing this? I teach this stuff. I should know it. Right. But there is this, there's something about us. is like, you know, it's, it's that fatty thing is great. Well, it turns out that it's not. So it's just a constant reminder just to really tune into your body because no one then is going to tell you no magazine, no next You know, whether it's paleo, whether it's this or that diet, whatever is gonna be right. You're gonna figure out what really works for you, and that's like the biggest skill you ever learn.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. So, on that note, I'm curious. A few personal plant questions for you. What would you say your favorite of all the plants is? Your favorite to eat? Arugula. Oh, I could have seen that coming. There was a lot of foreshadowing with that one. <laughs> and what's your favorite thing to do with it? Just drizzle a little EVOO on top.
1: Uh, yes, and you know I love to combine it with another very bitter uh, veggie that leaf leafy veggie that is um, very hard to eat. Um, do you do you ever cook or work with dandelion? Yeah, uh huh.
0: Yeah, very yeah. bitter.
1: That guy is a is a hard one to work with, right? Because it's so bitter. Um, hard but, pill to but swallow. <laughs> So, yeah, so there is like one of the recipes that's in the cookbook is uh, arugula with dentin line, but um, it's a it's a Tuscan, it's a, from Tuscany, from Italy uh, Recipe recipes, a very traditional Tuscan recipe with shredded fennel, but the killer is the orange, adding orange to it and orange zest in the dressing. And that's a killer recipe that just completely, like you're getting these, you know, these, these uh, bitters into your body, but you're balancing them out with that sweetness of an orange and it's just phenomenal
0: yum 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 yum
1: um
0: on that note what is your most used kitchen tool
1: it will be well i mean obviously my knife right and i use top quality knives um but what's nice your favorite
0: brand of your knife
1: you know i'm using um knives from a uh a very boutique place that actually manufactures small batches So it's not gonna be very helpful to anyone but those just get really good quality knives that you know uh, look, a really good knife will cost you probably about 200 to $300. And you know what? You buy one, you maintain it well, and you have it for the next 20, 30 years. So totally. So it is an investment. And good knife really makes a huge difference in how you cook.
0: Totally. Okay, so your knife, besides your knife, you were going to say something else.
1: Um, yeah, I love using my uh, lemon and lime squeezer. What is your
0: favorite plant party restaurant, which is just a restaurant where you love to eat plants?
1: Well, I live in Boulder, Colorado, right? So there is a, there is a restaurant called Shine and it's run by triplets, three sisters who are just really bringing culinary arts and really good nutrition together, which is very unusual, but totally doable. Um, just to give you an example, for instance, they would soak uh, the almonds before they make uh, almond milk from it, right? Because it's really good to soak the nuts before to get just to make them more digestible. Uh, so they, you know, they have like soaked sprouts, soaked, um, you know, grains that they use um, in their, in their cooking. And it's not a vegetarian place, but you know, when I go, it's like most of the time I eat plant-based anyway. So that's the one place that I absolutely adore. And and I think it's really important to pick places that owners really care about what the food is coming from and what they do with that food, you know, and how they feed people. um, Because that's really reflects on, you know, your own health, too.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Okay, what is a book that's inspired you in some awesome way?
1: Uh, Oh, gosh, I mean, so hard to point to one. Um, So the Spice Bible is one book. And don't ask me about the author, because he's got a really complicated Indian name. um, That just wait, he's a PhD and a doc. And so he basically took all the spices, you know, probably because he's Indian. So he grew up with all the turmeric and cardamoms and, you know, corianders and, and really explained the science behind it, how they help. And I think, you know, I I love to use spices and that was a big inspiration for my recipes. But the other one I just want to do a shout out for is my good friend, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, who wrote, you know, a number of different hormonal books and uh, like the the hormone reset diet and Um, and so she, you know, she was, I think the first person many years ago who really put it out there. The food can be medicine for hormones. That's
0: awesome. Well, speaking of books about food can be medicine for hormones, you have a Bible book called cooking for (laughs) hormone balance that is out in the world. Now tell us about it and where peeps can get it and how people can stay in touch with you.
1: Yeah. So, you know, everything I talked about on this show is pretty much in the book and more Uh, it's got 125 recipes. They've been inspired by the 20 superfoods and the 20 herbs and spices that have been medically proven to either support the three-legged stool, so liver, gut, sugar balance, or hormones directly. So the the, the recipes have been very intentionally created around that. Those are not just random recipes put together. There are meal meal plans for all these different conditions. So basically, I cover thyroid, estrogen dominance, menopause, and perimenopause, as well as uh, PCOS, and estrogen dominance. So five conditions all covered with meal plans. But also, you know, Talia, you probably saw that. There was, um, it's, uh, you know, my friends call it protocol cookbook because it has some very solid protocols that took just are like years of my research and putting them into one sheet. So you can literally, like when you buy the book, there's a website you can come on and it gives you their URLs. You can print out those protocols and hang it on the fridge. And then it shows you what to add and what to remove in very simple terms. So you constantly remind us that that becomes you know when we look keep looking at something it just becomes second nature right Yeah so that's really the protocols really help you quickly if you don't want to follow my recipes like if you're a vegetarian or you have your own way of eating then you you know you just use those principles and then you do your own cooking with that
0: Totally So that's
1: so that's the book it's available everywhere um whether all the bookstores or independent bookstores carry it and of course Amazon um and my website is hormonesbalance.com, hormones with an S. I know weird, but that's the way it is, hormonesbalance.com. Um, and we got this nice, I'll make sure I'll send you the um, the seed rotation yeah. uh, uh, URL as well, so people can get started with the seed rotation, you know?
0: Perfection. That sounds like a fun thing to do this summer is rotate your seeds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all your wisdom and research and knowledge. I really appreciate it.
1: It was fantastic to be here, Talia. Thank you. And you have great questions. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much for
0: listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. I hope you're feeling stoked to push your scrapbooking hobby to the side and take on un-haywiring your hormones instead. I feel like you got more than enough ideas in this chat with Magdalena to hack away at healthifying those hormones of yours. I believe in you. And I also wrote up some helpful show notes for you that are waiting at partyinmyplantscom slash 104.